Part One of The Fisherman and His Soul by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Greg Marguerite. Part One of The Fisherman and His Soul by Oscar Wilde. Every evening the young fisherman went out upon the sea and threw his nets into the water. When the wind blew from the land he caught nothing, or but little at best, for it was a bitter and black-winged wind, and rough waves rose up to meet it. But when the wind blew to the shore, the fish came in from the deep and swam into the meshes of his nets, and he took them to the marketplace and sold them. Every evening he went out upon the sea, and one evening the net was so heavy that hardly could he draw it into the boat. And he laughed and said to himself, Surely I have caught all the fish that swim, or snared some dull monster that will be a marvel to men, or some thing of horror that the great queen will desire. And putting forth all his strength, he tugged at the coarse ropes, till, like lines of blue enamel round a vase of bronze, the long veins rose up on his arms. He tugged at the thin ropes, and nearer and nearer came the circle of flat corks, and the net rose at last to the top of the water. But no fish at all was in it, nor any monster or thing of horror, but only a little mermaid lying fast asleep. Her hair was as a wet fleece of gold, and each separate hair was as a thread of fine gold in a cup of glass. Her body was as white as ivory, and her tail was of silver and pearl. Silver and pearl was her tail, and the green weeds of the sea coiled round it. And like sea-shells were her ears, and her lips were like sea-coral. The cold waves dashed over her cold breasts, and the salt glistened upon her eyelids. So beautiful was she that when the young fisherman saw her he was filled with wonder, and he put out his hand and drew the net close to him, and leaning over the side he clasped her in his arms. And when he touched her she gave a cry like a startled seagull, and woke and looked at him in terror with her mauve amethyst eyes, and struggled that she might escape. But he held her tightly to him, and would not suffer her to depart. And when she saw that she could in no way escape from him, she began to weep, and said, I pray thee let me go, for I am the only daughter of a king, and my father is aged and alone. But the young fisherman answered, I will not let thee go, save thou makest me a promise that whenever I call thee thou wilt come and sing to me, for the fish delight to listen to the song of the sea-folk, and so shall my nets be full. Wilt thou in very truth let me go if I promise thee this? cried the mermaid. In very truth I will let thee go, said the young fisherman. So she made him the promise he desired, and swore it by the oath of the sea-folk and he loosened his arms from about her, and she sank down into the water, trembling with a strange fear. Every evening the young fisherman went out upon the sea and called to the mermaid, and she rose out of the water and sang to him. Round and round her swam the dolphins, and the wild gulls wheeled above her head. And she sang a marvelous song, for she sang of the sea-folk who drive their flocks from cave to cave, and carry the little calves on their shoulders of the tritons who have long green beards and hairy breasts and blow through twisted conches when the king passes by. 
of the palace of the king, which is all of amber, with a roof of clear emerald and a pavement of bright pearl, and of the gardens of the sea, where the great filigrane fans of coral wave all day long, and the fish dart about like silver birds, and the anemones cling to the rocks, and the pinks burgeon in the ribbed yellow sand. She sang of the big whales that come down from the North Seas and have sharp icicles hanging to their fins, of the sirens who tell of such wonderful things that the merchants have to stop their ears with wax, lest they should hear them and leap into the water and be drowned, of the sunken galleys with their tall masts and the frozen sailors clinging to their rigging, and the mackerel swimming in and out of the open portholes of the little barnacles who are great travelers and cling to the keels of ships and go round and round the world, and of the cuttlefish who live in the sides of the cliffs and stretch out their long black arms and can make night come when they will it. She sang of the Nautilus, who has a boat of her own that is carved out of an opal and steered with a silken sail, of the happy mermen who play upon the harps and can charm the great kraken to sleep of the little children who catch hold of the slippery porpoises and ride laughing upon their backs, of the mermaids who lie in the white foam and hold out their arms to the mariners, and of the sea-lions with their curved tusks and the sea-horses with their floating manes. And as she sang, all the tunny fish came in from the deep to listen to her, and the young fisherman threw his nets round them and caught them, and others he took with a spear. And when his boat was well laden, the mermaid would sink down into the sea, smiling at him. Yet would she never come near him that he might touch her. Oftentimes he called to her and prayed of her, but she would not. And when he sought to seize her, she dived into the water as a seal might dive. Nor did he see her again that day. And each day the sound of her voice became sweeter to his ears. So sweet was her voice that he forgot his nets and his cunning and had no care of his craft. Vermilion finned with the eyes of bossy gold, the tunnies went by in shoals, but he heeded them not. His spear lay by his side, unused, and his baskets of plated osier were empty. With lips parted and eyes dim with wonder, he sat idle in his boat and listened listening till the sea-mists crept round him and the wandering moon stained his brown limbs with silver. And one evening he called to her and said, Little mermaid, little mermaid, I love thee. Take me for thy bridegroom, for I love thee. But the mermaid shook her head. Thou hast a human soul, she answered. If only thou wouldst send away thy soul, then could I love thee. And the young fisherman said to himself, of what use is my soul to me? I cannot see it, I may not touch it, I do not know it. Surely I will send it away from me, and much gladness shall be mine. And a cry of joy broke from his lips, and standing up in the painted boat he held out his arms to the mermaid. I will send my soul away, he cried, and you shall be my bride, and I will be thy bridegroom, and in the depth of the sea we shall dwell together, and all thou hast sung of thou shalt show me and all that thou'st desire I will do, nor shall our lives be divided. And the little mermaid laughed for pleasure and hid her face in her hands. But how shall I send my soul from me? cried the young fisherman. Tell me how I may do it, and, lo, it shall be done. Alas, I know not, said the little mermaid. The sea-folk have no souls. 
and she sank down into the deep, looking wistfully at him. Now, early on the next morning, before the sun was the span of a man's hand above the hill, the young fisherman went to the house of the priest and knocked three times at the door. The novice looked out through the wicket, and when he saw who it was, he drew back the latch and said to him, Enter. And the young fisherman passed in, and knelt down on the sweet-smelling rushes of the floor, and cried to the priest who was reading out of the holy book, and said to him, Father, I am in love with one of the sea-folk, and my soul hindereth me from having my desire. Tell me how I can send my soul away from me, for, in truth, I, I have no need of it. Of what value is my soul to me? I cannot see it, I may not touch it, I do not know it. And the priest beat his breast, and answered, Alack, alack, thou art mad, or hast eaten of some poisonous herb. For the soul is the noblest part of man, and was given to us by God that we should nobly use it. There is no thing more precious than a human soul nor any earthly thing that can be weighed with it. It is worth all the gold that is in the world, and it is more precious than the rubies of the kings. Therefore, my son, think not any more of this matter, for it is a sin that may not be forgiven. And as for the sea-folk, they are lost, and they who would traffic with them are lost also. They are as the beasts of the field that know not good from evil and for them the Lord has not died. The young fisherman's eyes filled with tears when he heard the bitter words of the priest, and he rose up from his knees and said to him, Father, the fawns live in the forest and are glad, and on the rocks sit the mermen with their harps of gold. Let me be as they are, I beseech thee, for their days are as the days of flowers. And as for my soul, what, what doth my soul profit me if it stand between me and the thing that I love? The love of the body is vile, cried the priest, knitting his brows. And vile and evil are the pagan things God suffers to wander through his world. Accursed be the fawns of the woodland, and accursed be the singers of the sea. I have heard them at night-time, and they have sought to lure me from my beads. They tap at the window and laugh. They whisper into my ears the tale of their perilous joys. They tempt me with temptations, and when I would pray they make mouths at me. They are lost, I tell thee, they are lost. For them there is no heaven nor hell, and in neither shall they praise God's name. Father, cried the young fisherman, thou knowest not what thou sayest. Once in my net I snared the daughter of a king. She is fairer than the morning star, and whiter than the moon. For her body I would give my soul, and for her love I would surrender heaven. Tell me what I ask of thee, and let me go in peace." "'Away! Away!' cried the priest. "'Thy leman is lost, and thou shalt be lost with her.' And he gave him no blessing, but drove him from his door. And the young fisherman went down into the market-place, and he walked slowly and with bowed head, as one who is in sorrow. And when the merchants saw him coming, they began to whisper to each other. And one of them came forth to meet him, and called him by name, and said to him, What hast thou to sell? I will sell thee my soul, he answered. I pray thee buy it of me, for I am weary of it. Of what use is my soul to me? I, I cannot see it, I may not touch it, I do not know it. But the merchants mocked at him, and said, 
Of what use is a man's soul to us? It is not worth a clipped piece of silver. Sell us thy body for a slave, and we will clothe thee in sea-purple, and put a ring upon thy finger, and make thee the minion of the great queen. But talk not of the soul, for to us it is naught, nor has it any value for our service. And the young fisherman said to himself, How strange a thing this is! The priest telleth me that the soul is worth all the gold in the world, and the merchants say that it is not worth a clipped piece of silver. And he passed out of the marketplace and went down to the shore of the sea, and began to ponder on what he should do. And at noon he remembered how one of his companions, who was a gatherer of sapphire, had told him of a certain young witch who dwelt in a cave at the head of the bay and was very cunning in her witcheries. And he set to and ran, so eager was he to get rid of his soul, and a cloud of dust followed him as he sped round the sand of the shore. By the itching of her palm the young witch knew his coming, and she laughed and let down her red hair. With her red hair falling around her she stood at the opening of the cave, and in her hand she had a spray of wild hemlock that was blossoming. "'What do ye lack? What do ye lack?' she cried, as he came panting up the steep and bent down before her. "'Fish for thy net when the wind is foul? I have a little reed-pipe, and when I blow on it the mullet comes sailing into the bay. But it has a price, pretty boy, it has a price. What do ye lack?' What do ye lack? A storm to wreck the ships and wash the chests of rich treasure ashore? I have more storms than the wind has, for I serve one who is stronger than the wind, and with a sieve and a pail of water I can send the great galleys to the bottom of the sea. But I have a price, pretty boy, I have a price. What do ye lack? What do ye lack? I know a flower that grows in the valley. None knows it but I. It has purple leaves and a star in its heart, and its juice is as white as milk. Should thou touch with this flower the hard lips of the queen, she would follow thee all over the world. Out of the bed of the king she would rise, and over the whole world she would follow thee. And it has a price, pretty boy, it has a price. What do ye lack? What do ye lack? I can pound a toad in a mortar, and make broth of it, and stir the broth with a dead man's hand. Sprinkle it on thine enemy while he sleeps, and he will turn into a black viper, and his own mother will slay him. With a wheel I can draw the moon from heaven, and in a crystal I can show thee death. What do ye lack? What do ye lack? Tell me thy desire, and I will give it thee, and thou shalt pay me a price, pretty boy. Thou shalt pay me a price. My desire is but for one thing, said the young fisherman. Yet hath the priest been wroth with me, and driven me forth. It is but for a little thing, and the merchants have mocked at me, and denied me. Therefore I am come to thee, though men call thee evil, and whatever be thy price, I shall pay it. What wouldst thou? asked the witch, coming near to him. I would send my soul away from me, answered the young fisherman. The witch grew pale, and shuddered, and hid her face in her blue mantle. Pretty boy, pretty boy, she muttered, that is a terrible thing to do. He tossed his brown curls and laughed. My soul is naught to me, he answered. I cannot see it, I may not touch it, I do not know it. What wilt thou give me if I tell thee? asked the witch, looking down at him with her beautiful eyes. 
five pieces of gold,' he said, "'and my nets, and the waddled house where I live, and the painted boat in which I sail. Only tell me how to get rid of my soul, and I will give thee all that I possess.' She laughed mockingly at him, and struck him with the spray of hemlock. "'I can turn the autumn leaves into gold,' she answered, "'and I can weave the pale moonbeams into silver if I will it. He whom I serve is richer than all the kings of this world, and has their dominions.' "'What, then, shall I give thee,' he cried, "'if thy price be neither gold nor silver?' The witch stroked his hair with her thin white hand. "'Thou must dance with me, pretty boy,' she murmured, and she smiled at him as she spoke. "'Naught but that!' cried the young fisherman in wonder, and he rose to his feet. "'Naught but that!' she answered, and she smiled at him again. "'Then at sunset, in some secret place, we shall dance together,' he said. And after that we have danced, thou shalt tell me the thing which I desire to know." She shook her head. "'When the moon is full, when the moon is full,' she muttered. Then she peered all round and listened. A blue bird rose, screaming from its nest, and circled over the dunes. And three spotted birds rustled through the coarse gray grass and whistled to each other. There was no other sound save the sound of a wave fretting the smooth pebbles below. So she reached out her hand and drew him near to her, and put her dry lips close to his ear. "'Tonight thou must come to the top of the mountain,' she whispered. "'It is Sabbath, and he will be there.' The young fisherman started and looked at her, and she showed her white teeth and laughed. "'Who is he of whom thou speakest?' he asked. "'It matters not,' she answered. Go thou to-night, and stand under the branches of the hornbeam, and wait for my coming. If a black dog run toward thee, strike it with a rod of willow, and it will go away. If an owl speak to thee, make it no answer. When the moon is full, I shall be with thee, and we will dance together on the grass. But wilt thou swear to tell me how I may send my soul from me? He made question. She moved out into the sunlight, and through her red hair rippled the wind. By the hooves of the goat, I swear it," she made answer. "'Thou art the best of witches,' cried the young fisherman, "'and I will surely dance with thee to-night on top of the mountain. I would indeed that thou hast asked me either gold or silver, but such as thy price is thou shalt have it, for it is but a little thing.' And he doffed his cap to her, and bent his head low, and ran back to the town filled with a great joy. And the witch watched him as he went. And when he had passed from her sight, she entered her cave, and having taken a mirror from a box of carved cedarwood, she set it up on a frame, and burned vervain on lighted charcoal before it, and peered through the coils of smoke. And after a time she clenched her hands in anger. He should have been mine, she muttered. I am as fair as she is. And that evening, when the moon had risen, the young fisherman climbed up to the top of the mountain, and stood under the branches of a hornbeam. Like a targe of polished metal, the round sea lay at his feet, and the shadows of the fishing-boats moved in the little bay. A great owl, with yellow sulphurous eyes, called to him by his name, but he made it no answer. A black dog ran towards him and snarled. He struck it with a rod of willow, and it went away whining. At midnight the witches came flying through the air like bats. you they cried, as they lit upon the ground. There is someone here we know not. 
and they sniffed about, and chattered to each other, and made signs. Last of all came the young witch, with her red hair streaming in the wind. She wore a dress of gold tissue embroidered with peacock's eyes, and a little cap of green velvet was on her head. "'Where is he? Where is he?' shrieked the witches when they saw her. But she only laughed and ran to the hornbeam, and taking the fisherman by the hand she led him out into the moonlight and began to dance. Round and round they whirled, and the young witch jumped so high that he could see the scarlet heels of her shoes. Then right across the dancers came the sound of the galloping of a horse, but no horse was to be seen, and he felt afraid. "'Faster!' cried the witch and she threw her arms about his neck, and her breath was hot upon his face. Faster! Faster! she cried, and the earth seemed to spin beneath his feet, and his brain grew troubled, and a great terror fell on him, as of some evil thing that was watching him. And at last he became aware that under the shadow of a rock there was a figure that had not been there before. It was a man dressed in a suit of black velvet, cut in the Spanish fashion. His face was strangely pale, but his lips were like a proud red flower. He seemed weary, and was leaning back, toying in a listless manner with the pommel of his dagger. On the grass beside him lay a plumed hat, and a pair of riding-gloves, gauntleted with gilt lace and sewn with seed-pearls, wrought into a curious device. A short cloak lined with sables hung from his shoulders, and his delicate white hands were gemmed with rings. Heavy eyelids drooped over his eyes. The young fisherman watched him as one snared in a spell. At last their eyes met, and whenever he danced it seemed to him that the eyes of the man were upon him. He heard the witch laugh, and caught her by the waist, and whirled her madly round and round. Suddenly a dog bayed in the wood, and the dancers stopped, and going up two by two knelt down and kissed the man's hands. As they did so, a little smile touched his proud lips, as a bird's wing touches the water and makes it laugh. But there was disdain in it. He kept looking at the young fisherman. "'Come, let us worship,' whispered the witch, and she led him up, and a great desire to do as she besought him seized on him, and he followed her. But when he came close, and without knowing why he did it, he made on his breast the sign of the cross and called upon the holy name. No sooner had he done so than the witches screamed like hawks and flew away, and the pallid face that had been watching him twitched with a spasm of pain. The man went over to a little wood and whistled. A jennet with silver trappings came running to meet him. As he leapt upon the saddle he turned round and looked at the young fisherman sadly. And the witch with the red hair tried to fly away also, but the fisherman caught her by her wrists and held her fast. Loose me, she cried, and let me go, for thou hast named what should not be named, and shown the sign that may not be looked at. Nay, he answered, but I will not let thee go till thou hast told me the secret. What secret? said the witch, wrestling with him like a wildcat, and biting her foam-flecked lips. Thou knowest, he made an answer. Her grass-green eyes grew dim with tears, and she said to the fisherman, Ask me anything but that. He laughed, and held her all the more tightly. And when she saw that she could not free herself, she whispered to him, Surely I am as fair as the daughters of the sea, and as comely as those that dwell in the blue waters. 
and she fawned on him and put her face close to his. But he thrust her back, frowning, and said to her, If thou keepest not the promise that thou madest to me, I will slay thee for a false witch. And she grew gray as a blossom of the Judas tree, and shuddered. Be it so, she muttered. It is thy soul, and not mine. Do with it as thou wilt. And she took from her girdle a little knife that had a handle of green viper's skin, and gave it to him. What shall this serve me? he asked of her, wondering. She was silent for a few moments, and a look of terror came over her face. Then she brushed her hair back from her forehead, and smiling strangely, she said to him, What men call the shadow of the body is not the shadow of the body, but is the body of the soul. Stand on the seashore with thy back to the moon, and cut away from around thy feet thy shadow, which is thy soul's body, and bid thy soul leave thee, and it will do so. The young fisherman trembled. Is this true? he murmured. It is true, and I would that I had not told thee of it, she cried, and she clung to his knees, weeping. He put her from him, and left her in the rank grass, and going to the edge of the mountain he placed the knife in his belt and began to climb down. And his soul that was within him called out to him, and said, Lo, I have dwelt with thee for these many years, and have been thy servant. Send me not away from thee now, for what evil have I done thee? And the young fisherman laughed. Thou hast done me no evil, but I have no need of thee, he answered. The world is wide, and there is heaven also, and hell, and that dim twilight house that lies between. Go wherever thou wilt, but trouble me not, for my love is calling to me. And his soul besought him piteously, but he heeded it not, but leapt from crag to crag, being sure-footed as a wild goat, and at last he reached the level ground and the yellow shore of the sea. Bronze-limbed and well-knit, like a statue wrought by a Grecian, he stood on the sand with his back to the moon, and out of the foam came white arms that beckoned to him, and out of the waves rose dim forms that did him homage. Before him lay his shadow, which was the body of his soul, and behind him hung the moon in the honey-colored air. And his soul said to him, if indeed thou must drive me from thee, send me not forth without a heart. The world is cruel. Give me thy heart to take with me. He tossed his head and smiled. With what should I love my love if I gave thee my heart? he cried. Nay, but be merciful, said his soul. Give me thy heart, for the world is very cruel, and I am afraid. My heart is my love's, he answered. Therefore tarry not but get thee gone. Should I not love also? asked his soul. Get thee gone, for I have no need of thee, cried the young fisherman, and he took the little knife with its handle of green viper skin and cut away his shadow from around his feet, and it rose up and stood before him and looked at him, and it was even as himself. He crept back and thrust the knife into his belt, and a feeling of awe came over him. Get thee gone, he murmured and let me see thy face no more. Nay, but we must meet again, said the soul. Its voice was low and flute-like, and its lips hardly moved while it spake. How shall we meet? cried the young fisherman. Thou wilt not follow me into the depths of the sea. Once every year I will come to this place and call to thee, said the soul. 
It may be that thou wilt have need of me. What need should I have of thee? cried the young fisherman. But be it as thou wilt. And he plunged into the waters, and the tritons blew their horns, and the little mermaid rose up to meet him, and put her arms around his neck, and kissed him on the mouth. And the soul stood on the lonely beach and watched them. And when they had sunk down into the sea, it went weeping away over the marshes. And after a year was over, the soul came down to the shore of the sea, and called to the young fisherman. And he rose out of the deep, and said, Why dost thou call me? And the soul answered, Come nearer, that I may speak with thee, for I have seen marvelous things. So he came nearer, and couched in the shallow water, and leaned his head upon his hand, and listened. And the soul said to him, When I left thee, I turned my face to the east, and journeyed. From the east cometh everything that is wise. Six days I journeyed, and on the morning of the seventh day I came to a hill that is in the country of the Tartars. I sat down under the shade of a tamarisk tree to shelter myself from the sun. The land was dry and burnt up with the heat, and people went to and fro over the plain like flies crawling upon a disk of polished copper. When it was noon, a cloud of red dust rose up from the flat rim of the land. When the Tartars saw it, they strung their painted bows, and having leapt upon their little horses, they galloped to meet it. The women fled screaming to the wagons, and hid themselves behind the felt curtains. At twilight the Tartars returned, but five of them were missing, and of those that came back not a few had been wounded. They harnessed their horses to the wagons, and drove hastily away. Three jackals came out of a cave, and peered after them. Then they sniffed up the air with their nostrils, and trotted off in the opposite direction. When the moon rose, I saw a campfire burning on the plain, and went towards it. A company of merchants were seated round it on carpets. Their camels were picketed behind them, and the negroes who were their servants were pitching tents of tanned skin upon the sand, and making a high wall of the prickly pear. As I came near them, the chief of the merchants rose up and drew his sword, and asked me my business. I answered that I was a prince in my own land, and that I had escaped from the Tartars, who had sought to make me their slave. The chief smiled, and showed me five heads fixed upon long reeds of bamboo. Then he asked me who was the prophet of God, and I answered him, Mohammed. When he heard the name of the false prophet, he bowed, and took me by the hand, and placed me by his side. A negro brought me some mare's milk in a wooden dish, and a piece of lamb's flesh roasted. At daybreak we started on our journey. I rode on a red-haired camel by the side of the chief, and a runner ran before us carrying a spear. The men of war were on either hand, and the mules followed with the merchandise. There were forty camels in the caravan, and the mules were twice forty in number. We went from the country of the Tartars into the country of those who curse the moon. We saw the griffins guarding their gold on the white rocks, and the scaled dragons sleeping in their caves. As we passed over the mountains we held our breath, lest the snows might fall on us, and each man tied a veil of gauze before his eyes. As we passed through the valleys the pygmies shot arrows at us from the hollows of the trees, and at night-time we heard the wild men beating on their drums. When we came to the Tower of Apes, we set fruits before them, and they did not harm us. 
When we came to the Tower of Serpents we gave them warm milk in howls of brass, and they let us go by. Three times in our journey we came to the banks of the Oxus. We crossed it on rafts of wood with great bladders of blown hide. The river-horses raged against it and sought to slay us. When the camels saw them, they trembled. The kings of each city levied tolls on us, but would not suffer us to enter their gates. They threw us bread over the walls, little maize-cakes baked in honey, and cakes of fine flour filled with dates. For every hundred baskets we gave them a bead of amber. When the dwellers in the villages saw us coming, they poisoned the wells and fled to the hill-summits. We fought with the Magadae, who are born old and grow younger and younger every year, and die when they are little children. And with the Lactroi, who say that they are the sons of tigers, and paint themselves yellow and black. And with the Oronites, who bury their dead on the tops of trees, and themselves live in dark caverns, lest the sun, who is their god, should slay them and with the Crimnians, who worship a crocodile and give it earrings of green glass, and feed it with butter and fresh fowls, and with the Agazanbe, who are dog-faced, and with the Sibians, who have horses' feet and run more swiftly than horses. A third of our company died in battle, and a third died of want. The rest murmured against me, and said that I had brought them an evil fortune. I took a horned adder from beneath a stone and let it sting me. When they saw that I did not sicken, they grew afraid. In the fourth month we reached city of Illel. It was night-time when we came to the grove that is outside the walls, and the air was sultry, for the moon was traveling in scorpion. We took the ripe pomegranates from the trees, and brake them, and drank their sweet juices. Then we lay down on our carpets, and waited for the dawn. And at dawn we rose and knocked at the gate of the city. It was wrought out of red bronze, and carved with sea-dragons, and dragons that have wings. The guards looked down from the battlements, and asked us our business. The interpreter of the caravan answered that we had come from the island of Syria, with much merchandise. They took hostages, and told us that they would open the gate to us at noon, and bade us tarry till then. When it was noon they opened the gate, and as we entered in the people came crowding out of the houses to look at us, and a crier went round the city crying through a shell. We stood in the market-place, and the negroes uncorked the bales of figured cloths and opened the carved chests of sycamore. And when they had ended their task, the merchants set forth their strange wares, the waxed linen from Egypt and the painted linen from the country of the Ethiops the purple sponges from Tyre, and the blue hangings from Sidon, the cups of cold amber, and the fine vessels of glass, and the curious vessels of burnt clay. From the roof of a house a company of women watched us. One of them wore a mask of gilded leather. And on the first day the priests came and bartered with us, and on the second day came the nobles, and on the third day came the craftsmen and slaves. And this is their custom with all merchants, as long as they tarry in the city. And we tarried for a moon, and when the moon was waning, I wearied and wandered away through the streets of the city, and came to the garden of its god. The priests in their yellow robes moved silently through the green trees, and on a pavement of black marble stood the rose-red house, in which the god had his dwelling. 
Its doors were of powdered lacquer, and bulls and peacocks were wrought on them in raised and polished gold. The tilted roof was of sea-green porcelain, and the jutting eaves were festooned with little bells. When the white doves flew past, they struck the bells with their wings and made them tinkle. In front of the temple was a pool of clear water paved with veined onyx. I lay down beside it, and with my pale fingers I touched the broad leaves. One of the priests came toward me and stood behind me. He had sandals on his feet, one of soft serpent skin and the other of bird's plumage. On his head was a mitre of black felt decorated with silver crescents. Seven yellows were woven into his robe, and his frizzled hair was stained with antimony. After a little while he spake to me and asked me my desire. I told him that my desire was to see the god. The god is hunting, said the priest, looking strangely at me with his small slanting eyes. Tell me what forest, and I will ride with him, I answered. He combed out the soft fringes of his tunic with his long pointed nails. The god is asleep, he murmured. Tell me on what couch, and I will watch by him, I answered. The god is at the feast, he cried. If the wine be sweet, I will drink it with him, and if it be bitter, I will drink it with him also, was my answer. He bowed his head in wonder, and taking me by the hand, he raised me up and led me into the temple. And in the first chamber I saw an idol, seated on a throne of jasper, bordered with great orient pearls. It was carved out of ebony, and in stature was of the stature of a man. On its forehead was a ruby, and thick oil dripped from its hair onto its thighs. Its feet were red with the blood of a newly slain kid, and its loins girt with a copper belt that was studded with seven barrels. And I said to the priest, Is this the god? And he answered me, This is the god. Show me the god, I cried, or I will surely slay thee and I touched his hand, and it became withered. And the priest besought me, saying, Let my lord heal his servant, and I will show him the god. So I breathed with my breath upon his hand, and it became whole again. And he trembled, and led me into the second chamber. And I saw an idol standing on a lotus of jade hung with great emeralds. It was carved out of ivory, and in stature was twice the stature of a man. On its forehead was a chrysolite and its breasts were smeared with myrrh and cinnamon. In one hand it held a crooked scepter of jade, and in the other a round crystal. It wore buckskins of brass, and its thick neck was circled with a circle of selenites. And I said to the priest, Is this the god? And he answered me, This is the god. Show me the god, I cried, or I will surely slay thee and I touched his eyes, and they became blind. And the priest besought me, saying, Let my lord heal his servant, and I will show him the god. So I breathed with my breath upon his eyes, and the sight came back to them, and he trembled again, and led me into a third chamber, and lo, there was no idol in it, nor image of any kind, but only a mirror of round metal set on an altar of stone. And I said to the priest, Where is the god? And he answered me, There is no god but this mirror that thou seest, for this is the mirror of wisdom, and it reflecteth all things that are in heaven and on earth, save only the face of him who looketh into it, 
this it reflecteth not, so that he who looketh into it may be wise. Many other mirrors are there, but they are mirrors of opinion. This only is the mirror of wisdom, and they who possess this mirror know everything, nor is there anything hidden from them, and they who possess it not have not wisdom. Therefore it is the God, and we worship it. And I looked into the mirror, and it was even as he had said to me. And I did a strange thing, but what I did matters not, for in a valley that is but a day's journey from this place I have hidden the mirror of wisdom. Do but suffer me to enter into thee again, and be thy servant, and thou shalt be wiser than all the wise men, and wisdom shall be thine. Suffer me to enter into thee, and none will be as wise as thou. But the young fisherman laughed. Love is better than wisdom, he cried, and the little mermaid loves me. Nay, but there is nothing better than wisdom, said the soul. Love is better, answered the young fisherman, and he plunged into the deep, and the soul went weeping away over the marshes. End of Part One of The Fisherman and His Soul by Oscar Wilde